When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today's podcast is with guest host Charlie Coiner. Charlie is a former NFL and college coach and now the founder and CEO of First Down Playbook. And on this episode, we were joined by John Shoup. John Shoup coached at every level, including high school, college, and NFL. He spent the majority of his career in the NFL as, as quarterbacks coach for the Panthers and added offensive coordinator duties with the Bears, Buccaneers, and Raiders. He went on to be the offensive coordinator at the University of North Carolina and then Purdue. He also spent time at Vanderbilt, LSU, Louisville, North Carolina, and Tennessee. He's a wealth of knowledge on the game and he talks to us a lot about quarterback play here and Charlie and I get into some ideas with him as well. This is one you will enjoy. Keep tuning in here. We have new episodes coming next week, and we will be releasing our free digital magazine for coaches, Coach and Coordinator Monthly. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski to see more information on that release, and go to our new home for the podcast, coachingcoordinator.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to week two of the game plan with my guest host, Charlie Coiner. And this week we're focused on quarterback play. And in addition to some talk here with Coach Coiner and sharing some ideas, we're going to get John Shoup on the phone. And John Shoup is currently quarterback's coach at A.C. Reynolds High School, but he has a ton of experience in the NFL and in college football as well. Coach Shoup got the start in his coaching career at Dartmouth. Uh, From there, he went on to be a GA at Vanderbilt and then went into the NFL, first as quality control, then he became a quarterback's coach with the Carolina Panthers. He moved on to that role with the Bears, became offensive coordinator for the Bears. Then he was the quarterback's coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then the Raiders also became the offensive coordinator there. Moved back to the college level at North Carolina as the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. Finished up at the college level at Purdue as the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. And currently, he's coaching at A.C. Reynolds High School in Asheville, North Carolina. So uh, another wealth of knowledge on our show, Coach. And uh, it's exciting to be back here with you in week two. Yeah, I'm excited for this. I know everybody out there is starting to get a feel for how the seasons are going. And uh, I hope they're going well for everybody. But we all know that there's about 50-50 right now. Half, half the people win and half the people lose every week. So 
who, whatever side you're on, if you're winning, hope you keep it up. And if you didn't win the first couple of weeks or the first week, then it's got to get a little bit better. Coach, I can remember remember the day. Doesn't seem that long ago, but now as I look back on it, it's over a decade at least. Uh, when the in my offenses that I was coordinating, the tailback was the focal point of what we were doing, and certainly that has changed. And the offenses today, most of which you're going to see, quarterback is the focal point, and as he goes, so goes the offense. So quarterback development is very important to that, and. As coaches, we have to remember that there's things we're going to have to do to continue to develop and work on his mechanics while at the same time we're developing his decision-making skills. And we really put a lot on the quarterback today when we think about RPOs and zone reads and all those types of things where he has to make a lot of decisions. So there's a lot that's on his plate, but we got to keep developing the mechanics part of it. Exactly. There's it's hard to find maybe in baseball or, or, and I get it, a dominant player in basketball where the focal point is so much on one player. And I, and I get the part about a pitcher or a LeBron James, but I think the difference in football, and, and this is where it's hard on a coach too, is that you're, you're really asking if a quarterback's going to get to his highest level, regardless if it's high school, college, or the NFL, you're really asking for that player to be a an extension of you on the field, mm-hmm. and the, when we when we take that step and we go, okay, we, we want that quarterback to think like like we do. You know, we're we're old and busted up, or or we never were that good. In my case, to, to get out there and be a quarterback, um, but what we what we have hopefully is a wealth of knowledge, and we try to uh, you know give that to the quarterback to make great decisions. The, com- the complexity comes into it, that's just not enough. We can't send the quarterback out on the field uh, with all the proper decision-making uh, knowledge, vision, and all of that. And then when it comes time to actually carry out the play, if it's a read option or, or an RPO or just a drop-back pass play, if the fundamentals are not there, you're no better off than if the quarterback didn't really know what they're doing. So very complex, really, at every level. Um, and, and that's why quarterbacks and quarterback coaches are so valuable. And um, it, you, it's something that I know many coaches aspire to be. I've, I've been a quarterback coach before. Um, I've coached a little bit of everything. But, but that is um, that position and that position coach will determine so much about the success of not only the offense, but the overall football team. Absolutely, Coach. And he's a guy who you have to give constant feedback, and it's on everything. It's not just on, hey, that was a good decision that time. Uh, you got to think about the timing. you got to think about you know, how were his feet, where was his arm, all those kinds of things. And you know, for me, having coached the quarterbacks, I was always looking for ways that I could constantly give them feedback in, in different things. And I know when we get that guy in practice, majority of coaches, I could think of one coach on the podcast who said they tackle him live in practice, but we're going to protect that guy. So there are many things that as far as the calibration and timing, especially when we think of the drop back game, those things might not be as realistic as they're going to look in the game. And I'm a, a big proponent of calibrating routes. Homer Smith talked about that all the time. And had the different types of routes would have different timings. And so for us, we were constantly putting the quarterback on the stopwatch. I'd have a stopwatch with me constantly looking at his feet and timing that snap 
to release. So he might complete a pass down the field, which he thinks he did a good job on. And when I looked down at the stopwatch, it was at like a 3.1. I had to say, hey, you know what? You were sacked. That protection is going to break down, or you're not going to be able to make that throw from where you did. So that kind of feedback is valuable too, whether that really is seven on seven, but even in our team periods where that guy, no, everybody's afraid to go by that guy because they understand his value to the team. Exactly. And we're talking about you, you and I both, I've, I've listened to you and I, and I did the same thing. We, we keep talking about that guy, right? That guy, that guy, that guy, the quarterback. Well, the other part that makes coaching that position so hard is that as much as we try to protect that guy, uh, regardless of what level it is, that guy might get hurt. And when he gets hurt, uh, you can put so much time into that guy that that poor number two guy, <laughs> number three guy, he didn't get any reps, and and he's got to now he's got to step right back into the same issue. And 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 yes, the answer to that is oftentimes let's cut this game plan down for this young player or this inexperienced player. But even when you do that, um, it, it it can be hard. And so. Where I'm going with that is that the value of a quarterback, the value of the quarterback coach is so important because you may need to, um, if you have an opportunity, you may need to actually go down and work with your number two uh, when they're running scout team to coach those very same things that we're, that we're talking about. And anytime you can, anytime on the scout team part of it, I don't care what level you're at, if you can take the scout team and turn the opponent's plays into something that is exactly like yours, as close as it can be, and, and get coaching out of it for your scout team players, and this is really for all 11 of them, but particularly for the quarterback, then you're doing yourself and the team a, a big-time favor because, once again, the, the, the worst thing that can happen is to be going along. And, and I was the year I coached quarterbacks, it, it happened to me. At, I, I coached them at Texas Southern. And we were like seven and zero or something like that, and and guess what? The quarterback went down, and, and we didn't do so well the last uh, four games of the season. And I blame myself. I, I don't. I don't think I got. I got narrowly focused on this one kid, and, and he did a great job. But I didn't do a great job of coaching the number two, and, and that's my fault. Yeah, you always have to pay attention to the two, and and you mentioned you know cutting down the game plan, and what I always like to do is grade my players on whether they were essentially whether they are were prof- proficient at something and I had a chart really for any position where we would go through on the different skills they had we would go through on different you know decision making I, I really believe every position has decision making involved so we'd have a section on that and with all those individual things we would have them rate themselves but we would also rate them as essentially not where it needs to be developing and proficient and some words like that uh depending where we were at we would change those up but we wanted to know what was this guy able to do with confidence and that started to form essentially what i would always keep as a second call sheet like this is what i will go to if this guy's in there and and that would be things we would want to continue to get him better and expand that list as the season goes on but i I always think you got to have a starting point with that guy that he can't necessarily handle everything maybe that your first guy does he's second guy for a reason yet you want to continue to develop him exactly and that's like once again like i said that i've got scars from that one still (laughs) (laughs) i i didn't do as good a job as you did keith trust me and we 
we didn't finish the season as well as we should have either. But, but yeah, I, I think right now, uh, if you're out there and, and you're coaching and okay, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're one and oh, two and oh, wherever you are in the season at the point where you're listening to this and you're, you're cruising right along and things look good and you feel good about the progression of your quarterback. Uh, it, it's, it's good to slow down and take a look and, and, and you can't predict the future, but as a coach, you've got to be ready, you know, to, to the, when you coach the offensive line and your right guard goes down, then it might be the backup right guard, but it also could be the tackle, the other tackle, the other guard, the center, a backup center. You've got plenty to pull, you know, from usually. But when your quarterback goes down, there's usually one kid that you're counting on doing that, and and so you better have that one ready. Definitely. Well, Coach, let's bring in Coach John Shoup on this, and he's got a ton of experience, as we mentioned in the introduction. So I'm going to talk to him a little bit about training quarterbacks in season and getting more out of seven-on-seven and some of his views on today's offenses. Coach Shoup, we appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Coach Coiner, you and I talked a little bit uh, about the idea of, of quarterback play and training our quarterbacks up and how that the focus might change as we get into the season. Coach Shoup, my first question for you is, how do you go about making sure, and you know, you've coached it at the highest level, that you're still doing things that help your quarterback maintain or improve his mechanics uh, during a time when it, it really becomes critical for him also to be honing in and making his decisions and understanding what he's doing in the game plan. And as you know, you know, head coaches usually like to take away our individual time, so we got to fight that b- battle as well. Well, you're right, and it's always a challenge. And whenever I coach, I always kind of think in terms of part, part, group, group, and then whole. And, you know, part, part would be individual time. Group group would be, you know, quarterback working with the wideouts or the running backs on mesh. And then the whole where you've got 11 on 11 and you're trying to think about the proper reads and stuff like that. The one thing that I'll say is that the best coaches that I know um, always think of an entire practice as an individual period. Just because a play caller is talking about uh, in an 11-on-11 or even a 7-on-7 about a concept or a play, that doesn't mean that the quarterback's coach and if the play caller is still the quarterback's coach can't still coach mechanics during that period. You know, it's really important in football, in any sport, to practice what happens in a game. Mm -hmm. And sometimes individual, what what you're doing in individual doesn't always relate to what happens in a game. But even whenever you're doing the whole 11 on 11 or seven on seven, there's no reason in my mind that position coaches still can't be coaching technique, uh, individual techniques uh, that are particular to their players. And so while you do do it at the beginning of practice and most coaches would want more, uh, I always say to coaches, just because just we're in group work or just because we're in teamwork doesn't mean you can't uh, still coach the heck out of his first step or a wide base or keeping his eyes downfield. That's a great point and, and one that I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of coaches just lose sight of just because of the competitiveness of it and the, 
and, and like uh, we're talking about, just trying to get ready for the game plan. What, what are some of the fundamental things, uh, John, that you look for um, is, as far as when a, a young quarterback, meaning a 13-year-old to 17-year-old quarterback, uh, I, I know that having worked with you in the NFL, we, we felt like you know, by the time we got an NFL quarterback, we, we, we thought that it might be you know, minimal what we could get changed from the waist up with the mechanics, but we, we worked the heck out of the footwork, and, and, and yeah, I, I learned that from you. Uh, what, what's your take on a high school quarterback uh, as far as waist up and waist down, uh, the amount of time that you spend on developing them? Yeah, you know, every quarterback kind of has their own idiosyncrasies. You know, Brett Favre's a great quarterback but didn't have the purest motion. And Peyton Manning's a great quarterback and probably had as pure a motion as anyone. Or Tom Brady, for instance. Having said that, uh, different people do things different ways, but there's two things upper body that I really look for that won't compromise at all and kind of two things lower body. and upper body, the first thing I look for is arm speed. And that's hard to go back and get ever, uh, you know, the older you are. Uh, arm speed is, frankly, how fast your arm is moving. You know, you talk about bat speed with hitters. You talk about club speed with golfers. If you want to throw the ball hard, you got to throw the ball hard. If you want to throw the ball far, your arm needs to be moving fast. And anybody who thinks the Tiger Woods or, 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 or Brooks Kopka, whatever his name is, some of those guys swing lightly at the ball when they hit it 400 yards. They're kidding themselves. Their arms are going, their clubs are going fast and quarterback's arms are going fast. So I look for arm speed. Uh, one of the important things in generating arm speed is hand size. If you can't grip a football, you tend to kind of develop mechanisms to shot put it. And so one of the things I really encourage young players is don't be in a hurry uh, uh, to start throwing with a football that's regulation size. Make sure you're always growing up throwing with a football that you can grip so you can really get your arm moving. You can really get your arm moving. Uh, And so besides arm speed, uh, the second thing I look for upper body-wise is someone that kind of has a tight circle. And so, again, if you think of a golfer, golfers are more accurate the shorter their club is. And the reason is because they have a more repetitive motion. Uh, And that repetitive motion just lends itself to accuracy. And so quarterbacks need to throw the ball with a tight circle. Think more like a catcher coming out of a crouch, throwing it down to second base, putting it right on his ear. Rather than say, you know, a, a picture like Kershaw dropping it down below his waist and having a big circle. So when I talk about a real tight circle, some of the tightest circles ever, you know, started. I learned it with Danny Marino, uh, but you see it with Tom Brady and A. Rod right now, where the ball doesn't drop down, but it gets up in that real tight circle. You couple arm speed with a tight circle. And that's a pretty good starting point for any quarterback at any level. Lower body, there's two things that we always think about, too. Guys that play with a wide base. Uh, think of a boxer in a boxing ring when he's bouncing around kind of on the balls of his feet. A good image also is a, a, a tennis player waiting to return serve. 
they're not jumping up in the air, but they got a nice wide base, kind of like they're riding a horse, and they're on their insteps. That's a very athletic position. Athletes that play with a real narrow base kind of concern me. I like athletes that have a little bit wider base and are kind of on their insteps. That's a powerful position, and you see a lot of right-handed batters uh, hit that way as well. So that wide base and then be able to throw the ball without a lot of room. We used to say have a small footprint, but it's it's really uh, uh, there's some guys that can throw the ball in seven-on-seven because seven they take a crow hop, but whenever you put them in team period, you don't always get to take a crow hop from the pocket when you've got a three technique breathing down your throat. And so people that can throw the ball with a short step or no step at all, kind of the flick of the hips, are uh, really attractive as well. And there's ways that we kind of test that, you know, see if guys can do that in camp. Having said that, I never felt like in college, and especially the pros, maybe in college, but the further you got along in your career, I always felt like it was harder to correct the upper body stuff. I was going to have a harder time developing arm speed the older you were or tightening your circle the older you were. But I always felt like no matter what level, I could really drill your lower body and widen your base and get you into more athletic position if you were a willing uh, you know, participant in all the drills. That was long-winded. I hope it made sense. <laughs> made a lot of sense, Coach. I, I had a, a follow-up question to something you s- said, and we're going to get into seven-on-seven seven here in a little bit, but that idea of the quarterback who in seven-on-seven, seven, especially think of the high school quarterback, is taking those crow hops and essentially moving into what would be the back of a, an offensive lineman or at yeah. le- the very least putting himself in danger of coming through and following through onto somebody's head. Uh, how do you start to train that to make sure that he's not developing those bad habits in seven on seven? Yeah, well, there's a lot of drills that you can do with a quarterback to keep that base wide and make sure they're taking short steps and no steps. And I think it's really up to the coaches uh, to really impress that upon the quarterback in seven on sevens. I think seven on sevens are valuable. I mean, anybody who says they're not is, is is high. I mean, it's it's a quarterback getting to throw the ball to receivers uh, in a lot of different ways. You just have to pay attention to it and try to make it as realistic as possible. A mantra that I always use is practice what happens in a game. And as a quarterback, you're never going to get to have that big crow hop. So just monitor that in those seven-on-seven drills, and just like you blow a horn whenever a guy takes, uh, you know, six seconds back there, uh, you might blow a horn and say you were sacked on that. I might do the same thing, that if he clicks his heels or kind of takes a crow hop or isn't throwing from that, you know, two-yard by two-yard well, or sometimes we refer to it as the eye of the hurricane, that that spot in the pocket, we too can say, no, you'd have been sacked on that, even if it was under the four-second uh, uh, time limit or three-and-a-half-second time limit, whatever someone else, whatever uh, you know, the offense coach might say or defensive coach might say, half-a-second time limit, right? Right. 
that's, that's it's interesting because it, it really gets back to what you just said about eleven on eleven padded practice. I mean, it, it always gets back to the coach. I mean, if, if the coach is going to take time to still uh, coach fundamentals and techniques during the team period, uh, same thing. When you go to seven on seven, it's important that the coach not get so competitive in a seven on seven drill league or whatever that they lose sight of of what we're doing because at the end of the day, it's always about the player. I mean, if we, if we mess that part up, we're, we're never going to be right. Uh, expand a little bit because, and, and we don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, uh, but I mean, there, there is uh, an argument out there that, you know, seven on seven, who's, who's talking to my kids, who's, who's coaching my players. Um, and you, and you bring up a great point, you know, if the game is, the game is going to grow how it's going to grow. And um, that's sometimes we can only control that so much. But uh, get in that a little more in depth about seven on seven. Your feelings on that? Yeah, you know, I as a coach uh, have been sensitive, you know, and, and wonder. I've coached college players uh, who have, you know, gone to, you know, some of the quarterback guys that uh, do their work. And what I've always tried to do then is also call those quarterback guys and say, you know, in, in many of those guys, whether it's Whitfield or Kenny Mastroli, Charlie, we coach, right. you know, at, uh, at Chicago. If I have a quarterback that's going to work with those guys, I'll call them and say, hey, here's what we're working on and what we're emphasizing. But, uh, you know, you're never going to tell – uh, a, a, a young basketball player not to go out and play basketball. You're never going to tell a, a, an aspiring golfer, well, don't go out and play golf. I, I think it's important to get people out there, get people playing. Uh, not everybody in the world wants to go run the T formation and just pound their head in the sand all summer. Uh, those are the kinds of schools that are struggling with numbers. It's the schools that are throwing it around and kind of promoting some fun. And, yeah, if you want to call it basketball through the air sometimes, I get it. But isn't that better than not showing up? You know, if you've got 22 guys that are out there playing seven-on-seven, that's a lot better than having, you know, six guys that showed up to lift because all they're going to do is just hand it off all year. You're going to have trouble getting the numbers up. So, uh, yeah, sometimes I've been sensitive about that, but I've always taken the high road and called that coach. And, and I think, uh, you could do that too. If there's someone coaching your seven on 17, I I coach high school now and I do that with our youth league. In fact, I spent last week with many coaches at our youth league saying, look, you guys got to do what you want to do. And that's your job. I, I get it. Here's what we're doing in high school. If this helps you, I think our quarterback is really good at this. You know, we're really good at this. We hope to continue to do this. And if the high school coaches and maybe the seven-on-seven coaches had more open and honest conversations, I think it could be really good. I'm all for young men that want to get out and work out and play ball. I'm all for it. And, uh, you know, you just got to deal with some of those situations openly, honestly, and be transparent. On that topic, um, on, on, on almost the same topic there, John, um, you know, different 
different forms of offenses at the high school level. And um, to me, it looks like, and, and I've you know been out of it now for uh, five or six years, and, and I'm more aware of what's going on at the high school level. And it looks like to me that there's a bottom-up feeding, utilized uh, feeding of the style of play. You've got more uh, option-type quarterbacks. You know, you've got the spread. You've got the uh, no-huddle stuff going on. And as a college coach, as a college recruiter, it looks like to me that uh, I've looked at the Big 12 and, and Texas high school football has, has almost changed the whole complexion sure. of that league. And, you know, then we hit – we kind of hit where the rubber meets the road when you get to the NFL because those quarterbacks are, are very exposed when they run that. Uh, and, and we all know, you know, having been in that league, you and I, that if you get that quarterback hurt, you, you know, unnecessarily, you right. most expect the owner to walk down the hallway and explain that you're going to uh, go with him when, when he leaves the building. So um, what, what's your take on that? I mean, how, how it's affected football, uh, where yeah, it's going? Sure. Well, I, I think it, in, in the high school and youth level, and even in college, these spread offenses and throwing the ball around and these seven-on-sevens stimulate enthusiasm. And at high school, one of the things we try to do now, and like I said, I've, I've coached high school, I've coached Division I college, and I've coached in the NFL. One of the things we try to do now is keep our numbers up. You know, I mean, it, it's hard to practice uh, when you don't have great numbers because you need scout teams, you need bodies, you need, you know, endurance and durability is the most underrated quality in a football team. And if you're using the same players for scout team as you're using for, you know, everything else, it gets really, really hard in the last quarter of the season. And so any way that, uh, any way that you can keep your numbers up and one way to do that is, Hey, we're going to be throwing the ball around. I tell guys walking in the hallway, Hey, we had a guy come out last year first year he ever played football in his life and he had 80 catches for us last year well guess what we had three guys that just walked on at wide receiver for us this season (laughs) and so that stimulates some of that that's important but when you get to the nfl people don't realize how fast they move and how hard they hit You know, Charlie, when we were at the Chicago Bears, if you remember, we used to always want to play. We we drew the Falcons like three years in a row for some reason. And we always wanted to play Mike Vick, their starting quarterback, in the second half of the season. And the reason we want to play him in the second half of the season is because he ran around a lot. Well, when he ran around, he had a great quarterback rating the first eight games of the season. He had a subpar quarterback rating the last eight games of the season. And the reason is, it's hard. I mean, you get beat up, that's a passing league. And if you've got a big bruise on your passing forearm or your hand or your pinky, it's hard to throw. It's really hard to play. And so self-preservation in that league uh, is paramount. And it's really important because... One, you're getting, you know, $50 million sometimes. The worst thing that can happen to a team is for a high-priced player to be injured. And so the number one, 
the number one goal for a quarterback, and we used to talk about this in the NFL, our number one goal is for you to start 16 games. If you start 16 games, our team will have a legit chance. And go through and you look at the teams in the NFL that, uh, you know, where their quarterback doesn't start 16 games and they just complain, well, son of a gun, we had all kinds of injuries. I think you've got to be intentional about how you practice, how you prepare, and, and things like that. You know, people complain about Peyton Manning sometimes sitting in the eye of the hurricane and when it breaks down, he'll just take a knee rather than get sacked. I don't know. That's a lot better than Mike Vick missing, you know, six games because, you know, he's in the concussion protocol. Uh, Discretion's the better part of valor, Shakespeare wrote. I kind of agree with that, you know? (laughs) Put another way, live to fight another day. (laughs) Live to fight another day. There's no doubt. You got to be intentional about endurance and durability. And, the NFL, you, you you can only take so many hits. And, and you can say, well, hey, Oklahoma, Texas, that's big-time football, Ohio State. It is. It's big-time football. I'm here to tell you, it ain't the NFL. <laughs> well, it, it ain't. And we've been there, Charlie. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, one of our mentors who used to say, Coach Dick Duron, uh, who was one of the best people and best coaches I've ever had the opportunity to work with. that. Too. Uh, coach who played nine years in the NFL said that the players would always, uh, when a player took a big hit in practice or a game, they always thought that everybody, every human body out there had a, a number of hits that yeah. nobody would be able to take. And when the player would take a hit, they'd go like, well, there's one more. <laughs> Mark, one more. Yeah. yeah so that, uh, that's a great point, Charlie. People don't realize it's the cumulative effect of these hits. And that's why you got to be wary how you practice. And, and frankly, that's why I'm all for passing the ball around in the spread game. And, and you know, 20 years ago, I was a guy who wanted to run the ball more than we passed it and be as physical as we can. Well, you know, 30 years ago, I wasn't allowed to drink water at practice either because it made me soft. <laughs> I mean, the world changes. You just figure things out. You've had the opportunity to coach at the, the three levels, the NFL, college, and high school. What would mm-hmm. be one play that you, you would pick out that you'd say, this works at any level? Could you walk us through that? We'll have Coach Corner will j- draw that up in, in first down playbook for our listeners, but could you walk us through a, a play you think would work at all three levels? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a curl-flat principle. And we've run it at all, all three levels. And it's kind of become an identity play for me as a play caller. I learned it from a guy named Ron Earhart. Ron Earhart, who's a longtime offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers and then the New York Giants. The Giants when they had Phil Sims, And this was Mark Bavaro's play, their tight end. Um, and so we'd line up in a bunch formation on one side. We'd line up in a bunch formation, and the outside receiver and the point guy in the bunch would switch. And we called the play Razor, and usually the Y was the guy at the point, and they'd switch release with the uh, outside receiver running down the middle of the field. The quarterback had an alert on that, and then the point man would see him outside and push up 8 to 10 yards. Uh, And we called the play Razor. 
if that point guy was the Y or what we called the tight end, we would call it Y Razor. And then the number three guy in the bunch would just be going to the flat. And so it was a three-man concept on the front side of the razor and flat, the curl and flat, but it had a vertical element that kept the poach safety, that is a quarter safety from jumping or from robbing uh, uh, that hook route uh, by the Y. And so we called it Y razor. And then down in the red zone, we used to sometimes tag instead of the razor uh, with the razor, instead of the outside receiver running a go, he may run a corner over the top. Uh, but that was kind of a three-man concept that we coupled with usually a six-man protection and had an individual route on the backside. And so the individual route, we put a wide receiver split out just by himself over there. And we used to tell the quarterback, you can throw that if it's a given. A lot of people talk about different coverages. Coverages are sometimes hard to read whenever you get all kinds of formations. We used to just say to the quarterback, if that's given, if that's a belt-high fastball, if that's an easy layup, you can take it. And you can even hand-signal the route to your individual guy. Sometimes a stop at 10 yards, sometimes a, a speed cut out at about 12, sometimes a skinny post. You can hand signal that route to him. And in fact, Jerry Rice used to hand signal the route into Joe Montana and Steve Young. They used to do it vice versa. Uh, But uh, it'd be a six-man protection, and the quarterback could throw the individual route if it was given. And if it's not given, i.e., there's color over there, there's rotation, there's, there's, I just don't like it. It doesn't look like a belt-high fastball. Uh, Then just work the concept side in the back would check down over the ball. And uh, that's one that we've run. Boy, Charlie, we ran that in the Bears. We beat uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, in the last play of the fourth quarter with that one. Uh, Won a lot of games at at the North Carolina Tar Heels. And, boy, we're running it here at A.C. Reynolds. We'll run it tonight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go there's a scouting report <laughs> coach we appreciate you taking time uh we know it's a busy day for you with game day best of luck to you guys uh in your game tonight and for the rest of the season hey thank you very much it's it's always a pleasure to be on the phone talking some ball but especially when you got charlie on there <laughs> <laughs> thank you coach good luck tonight thanks man Well, Charlie, definitely some interesting perspectives there and some great information, great ideas from Coach Shoup. Yeah, it's 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 great to to revisit people that you've worked with and uh, just to hear John talk uh, and and talk to us and talk to our audience uh, just reminded me of of, of what a great communicator he is and and what a a, you know what a great teacher and 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 that's the number one thing I think for a football coach is. Uh, other than the character part of it, that that can you teach and communicate? Um, I'm just listening to him, and, and one of the things that came back to me, uh, Keith, as I was listening to him talk about the upper body and lower body stuff. Uh, I, I'm I'm standing in Knoxville, Tennessee, right now, and, and my my girlfriend actually had me rewatch um, a the show that Peyton Manning did on the Denver Broncos season, and I went through a season with him and some of the fundamentals that John was talking about were the very things that Peyton Manning was working on as a 
you know, double digit veteran of the NFL and, and all the things, you know, he went back and worked with David uh, Cutcliffe and all the things that never really changed over the, the course of his uh, career. And so, you know, sometimes we get bored as coaches working on those fundamentals. Um, but to hear somebody with the experience that John Shoup has, to hear, uh, obviously, Peyton Manning in his final two years as an NFL pro uh, just reinforce the same things over and over and over. Uh, there's a lesson to be learned there, a lesson to, to all coaches out there that just because you've coached that uh, technique before and you've coached that technique for 30 years, the player that you're coaching, they haven't been coached that long. They need to keep getting coached on the fundamentals and techniques. And that, that's what jumped out at me with uh, the, the um, things that John was just now saying. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I, I, you know, got to thinking a lot about the seven-on-seven seven portion. And when we think of that, there's, there's two ways we, we think of it. One is kind of the stuff that goes on in the summer. But, you know, for us right now, it's the in-season pass Kelly or seven-on-seven we're going to run in practice to get down some of the timing that we need with our receivers and and having a defense out there. And I just wanted to share a couple thoughts on what you can do uh, to get maybe a little bit more out of that period. And I've handled it it a couple different ways. Um, Number one, you heard me talk about the stopwatch and always a big believer always put my quarterbacks on that stopwatch and it, it got to be something that they would want to know when a play ended coach would I get that off in because they understood the the importance of timing within our offense so I, I do recommend that and the next thing I, I would think about you know and I thought about what coach was saying uh you know the eye of the hurricane those types of things I think if if you're in a a uh, a shotgun offense you can kind of put some things up in front of that quarterback. They'd be behind the line of scrimmage, but um, whether those are some stepovers or some stand-ups that kind of start to make that pocket and at least give him the feel of where he needs to be and how far up he can get with his footwork because you don't want that shuffle up, shuffle up, shuffle up because you're, you're just not going to have it, as Coach made the point of. And I think the other thing you can do as you go through the course of the season as uh, you know, you look to maybe take off, take out some of the contact from your practice, take that off of the lineman a little bit. That if if the offensive line has some time, and even if it's for five minutes of of the period, you know, bring them down, bring the defensive line down, and do their one on ones that they normally would do during that period within the setting of the seven-on-seven. So they're kind of setting up on their own. They have to be ready to go when we're ready to snap it. But essentially, only one offensive lineman and the defender against him are going to be live. Everybody else will take their pass set and their initial steps on the pass rush and stop at the point of contact. But what it it starts to do is give the quarterback that feel for people in front of him. So uh, that would be another recommendation of what I would add to uh, that seven-on-seven period in practice during the season. All great stuff and things that, that we, we've done at the college and the uh, NFL level. And, and you're exactly right. If you can, the more, it goes back to what John was just saying, the more you can make it like the game, the, the better off you're going to be. And, and that's, that's just what that's doing. I, the one thing that I would add uh, is that, and I'll go back to maybe my experience in the NFL, you know, being working with the quarterback, but John was the coordinator and quarterback coach. 
But one of my jobs, and, and anyone can really do this, was to work with the backup quarterback once again, or the number three quarterback. And when you're in seven on seven, and you're standing back there with the second team quarterback, make sure that someone is taking that backup quarterback through that rep as it happens. And obviously you can do it off of video, but once again, video is, is different than being there. So the quarterback, either, either on his own or uh, a, a young assistant coach, um, maybe uh, once again at the high school level, who, who knows who it might be. But make sure that that quarterback behind the starting quarterback is taking the same footwork, is actually looking at the coverage, and they should be able to tell you what the coverage was at the end of that play. So the two things that I always thought were important, you know, you, you can get real technical, just like John was talking about coverages. But if the quarterback could tell me open or closed, man or zone, and he was taking the proper fundamentals and, and the footwork on that drop, on that drop, then he was getting something out of that drill as well as the starter. I love that. We always talk about getting your mental reps, and that's one that he gets some mental and physical all the way up to the point where he might throw the football, but he's going through that progression just like he would if he was in the play. I love that idea, Coach. Another great week here on the game plan. Uh, I look forward to uh, getting back to you and talking next week. And before we go, I know we have uh, some stuff we're going to get drawn up and be able to share with our listeners. Coach, where are they going to be able to find that? Absolutely. We'll get that razor concept drawn up, uh, and we'll put a couple different routes on the backside, like John was talking about. We will post those, uh, obviously, on the USA Football website, and we'll also put them at the Coaches Community site on First Down Playbook. And the way you get to that is blog, B-L-O-G, dot First Down Playbook. You can spell out First Down, F-I-R-S-T, dot excuse me, blog.firstdownplaybook, and we'll put that out there, and it's a free website for coaches. We put something up every day, and uh, you'll see the Razor concept by John Shoup here in the next couple days. Coach, I look forward to getting together with you next week. You have a great week of drawing up plays and enjoy all those games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You too, Keith, and good luck to all the coaches out there this week. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Again, go to our new home for the podcast, coachingcoordinator.com, to see show notes for this episode as well as additional content and blogs. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. Just a reminder, new episodes coming out next week. We have a great lineup for you. And our new digital magazine will be released soon. It's a place where you can get all the content that you can't see on a podcast. We'll have that there for you again at Coaching Coordinator Monthly.